Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. My check. Hey. How is everybody? Good. Hmm. So, I started my week off a little different. Um, I decided to start every day off with God in a different sense. Um, Usually I would wake up, meditate, but this time I decided to switch it up. I woke up and I opened my Bible. And uh, the first scripture that popped out to me was Genesis 127. God made man in his own image, and you guys know the rest. And so um, I meditated that on that this week. And I really like paid attention to those words and I'm like, God made man in his own image, male and female. So as I moved through my week knowing this, this was my foundation of the week, I really stepped into my power because I realized that we are all so divine, so perfect just the way that we are. And so I really decided to surrender to the way the week and the way that God decided this was how your week is going to go, Crystal. Instead of resisting it, fighting it, I dropped all walls and I just allowed God to enter my heart and serve this week through me, using me as a vessel. And so today I would like for us to step into that power, step into our divinity, come back home to ourselves using the breath just to relax and to let go of all walls, any resistance. So as we close our eyes, get comfortable in your physical vessel and take a deep breath in through the nose. Allow the breath to fill your body just as it wants to without forcing it, without pushing it. And we exhale through the nose or the mouth. And as you inhale, envision God's light entering your nose, entering the nostrils all the way up into the head, all the way down the spine, into the vessel. God is currently just spreading his light all over your body. So fill the vessel with God's light. Feel God's light entering your mind. Let it enter your heart. Enter your soul. And we exhale. We exhale resistance. We exhale the feelings that no longer serve us. 
We exhale through the form of tears, through the form of the breath, we exhale. And we open our hearts up to God's love, to God's light. And as you continue to breathe, feel your vessel relax, feel the walls fall. Allow yourself to be in this moment, fully present in God's light. Feel the peace, feel your body. It fills your mind, it fills your soul. And we breathe deep into this feeling of peace as we surrender to God. And in this state of surrender is where healing and transformation takes place. So we breathe into this and listen to that voice. Trust yourself in this moment as you allow God to fill all parts of you. Ask him for guidance in this moment. Deep inhale through the nose. Audible exhale through the mouth, let it go. Beautiful. Deep inhale through the nose. Audible exhale through the mouth, we let it go. Audible exhale through the mouth, we let it go. And together as we breathe in together and we breathe out together, we create a healing vortex for all of us to surrender. We are each other's neighbors, and we can use this breath to send healing light, healing love, and energy to our neighbors, to the entire world. And so you are supported in this moment to fully surrender, fully let go. And so we breathe in God's love, and we let it go. We give all of our worries to God, all of our anxieties. God is asking for you to give it all to him. He just wants you to be happy and peaceful and joyful. So we breathe in this joy, this happiness and this peace and we let go. Deep inhale through the nose. And a deep exhale, feel the breath. Calm every cell of your body. Feel the divinity flow like a light from the top of your forehead all the way down to your toes. Imagine yourself being wrapped in this bright white light 
of safety, of armor, of courage, of confidence. Your dreams live here. Wrap yourself in those dreams and step into your divinity, your power in this moment. And a deep inhale, a deep exhale. Send the breath down to your toes, deep exhale. And I want you to bring whatever is on your heart, whatever's weighing on your heart, bring it to your mind's eye and hold it there in the form of a thought. And this is your moment to heal by changing the story or just fully accepting it as it is. See God's light covering your mind, your thoughts, your heart, your body, your soul. Feel the support of your divinity in this moment. Deep inhale. And let go, fully let go. Deep exhale. If you wish, you can repeat this mantra after me. Allow it to guide you. I am divinely guided. I am being divinely guided on this journey. God's love lives within. And I am so divine. And a deep inhale. And deep exhale. You are so beautiful. As you come back into your body, allow this feeling of peace to carry you through your week. I love you guys. You may open your eyes. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Oh, how refreshing was that, huh? Wow. Sorry, I know, it's a, it's a little extra. Jeez. I'm ready for a massage now. <laughs> oh, man, I love to see you. I love that Heartway is this beautiful healing space where people can come to find peace of mind and joy. I know it takes a lot of courage for some of us to even be in a room like this with the kind of stuff that we're experiencing in our life, the, the challenges, the difficulties, the trials, the trauma, for you to even be here and be open enough to uh, get into a space like this says a lot about you and I want you to know that you're not alone, you are loved and you're in a room full of other human beings who just like you but in their own way are going through stuff. We're all just kind of going through stuff trying to figure out how we can come out of the other side better. 
And so uh, I hope that you enjoy your experience with us today. It's already been wonderful. Sometimes I actually feel like my words mess up the beauty of the silence that precedes me. But I will talk anyways. The title of my message today is The Logic of God. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because throughout the New Testament scriptures, one of the teachings that is constantly reiterated is that there is a divine intelligence that is at the heart of all existence that fills and guides and infuses all things. So the gospel writer in the book of John uses the word logos. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the Greek, that word, word is logos, where we get the word logic from. And the idea was that everything in our universe operates according to the divine logic So when you look out at life and existence, it's very easy to just think this is random, chaotic, meaningless. A lot of of people look at life and they're like, this is meaningless. There's There's no sense to life. How do you make sense out of life and like the tragicness of it all? Because existence is crazy. I don't know if you've taken some time to reflect on the fact that you exist, but this is nuts. The other day I follow this, um, I follow a page on Instagram. I don't recommend you follow it, but now you're gonna want to maybe. It's called Nature is Metal. You follow them? You're crazy. You're my kind of person. The other day, this guy posts like all the, just the harsh realities of nature which involves a lot of blood and death and gore. And this guy puts up a picture earlier this week of like, I think it's like a tiger or something or a lion that has a monkey in his mouth and hanging on to the monkey is the baby monkey. Oh my God. The, I know. No, you should have seen. You should have seen. You should have seen the comments. The comments. One guy. The first comment was, "I did not need this this week." Okay. <laughs> and then the comment underneath that, "Well, this is just life, buddy. You gotta accept it and get used to it." Okay. Nature does not care how you feel about it this week. But anyways, I bring that up because, dang, what? And that little baby monkey is just innocent, not doing nothing with mama hanging, dangling, about to be somebody's lunch. So life is crazy, and it's very easy to look at this whole thing (laughs) and just be like, this doesn't make sense. What's going on? And listen, we don't, like, human beings are the worst, too. And you know this, right? Like, we're the worst. It's very easy to look out at nature and be like, oh, look at how violent nature is. No. Humanity is the utmost with the violence. (sighs) Yeah, so anyways, you look out at life and you ponder on these things and it's very easy to look at it and say, this is all random, it's chaotic and it's meaningless. But these ancient people in the midst of all this chaos and seeming absurdity of life said, no, 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 there's actually an order to the chaos. So in Genesis chapter 1, 
the biblical narrative begins with uh, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and the darkness of the earth, which represented chaos. So there's all this chaos. It seems absurd and meaningless. Existence seems totally random and nuts, crazy. But if you look a little deeper, there's an order to the disorder. There's, there's a, a guiding principle to all of this chaos. It's not random. It's not meaningless at all. And what's fascinating to me is that these ancient people came to know this intuitively. And what they came to know intuitively, now in our day and age, people are coming to know through scientific inquiry. Let me read you this quote from uh, a German theoretical physicist. He won the Nobel Peace Prize many years ago. Look at what this guy says. He's a theoretical physicist. Do you even know what that means? <laughs> exactly. Okay. All matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particles of an atom to vibration and holds the most minute solar system of the atom together. We must assume that behind this force, there is that existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. Now, obviously not all scientists see things like this, but I think it's pretty fascinating that there are some people as smart as this guy who study the nature of the cosmos, who arrive at this conclusion that what seems to be chaotic and random and meaningless actually has an order to it. There is an intelligence. And then others go as far to say it's not just that there is an intelligence out there that created all of this, but there is no separation between this and that. It's one. All of life is an expression of this one infinite, conscious, and intelligent mind. You are an expression and manifestation of that. A lot of times when human beings talk about how big the universe is and if there's other life out there, I love that we've used the phrase intelligent life. Sometimes, maybe you've heard the question posed like this, are we the only intelligent life in the universe? Interesting question. The way that I see it, life has been intelligent long before humans got here. So if we just take the scientific narrative of life and the history of the cosmos, forget if it's right or wrong, just what a lot of scientists have been saying about how all of this came to be. 14 billion years ago, an event called the Big Bang, an explosion. How did that happen? Where did that happen? What? Okay, fine. Big Bang. Uh, five billion years ago, our solar system begins to form. Four billion years ago, life on this planet begins in the form of bacteria. 200 million years ago, dinosaurs. 65 million years ago, dinosaurs get wiped out. Mammals start to show up. And then 6 million years ago, humans got on the scene. Just 6 million years ago. So if you were to take the history of the universe and put it in a calendar year, the Big Bang happened January 1st. You and I got here on December 31st at 11.59 p.m. 
So why do I bring this up? Because life has been brimming with some sort of intelligence way before you were born, way before human beings were even a thing. And that's amazing. That's fascinating to me. Nature has this built-in intelligence. Look at all the complex ecosystems and how they harmoniously work together. Look at nature. Birds don't have to be taught how to fly. It's just this innate intelligence that causes all beings to be what they are. And it's incredible. So you and I don't really come into this universe. We come out of it. In the same way that like an ocean produces waves, the universe produces people. But we get confused because we start to think that we are this autonomous individual entities that are separate from everything and everyone else. When the reality is, no, you are a wave in the ocean of God. You understand? This is all the play of the one conscious, infinite, intelligent mind that this is, that existence is. This divine intelligence that's spoken of in the scriptures exists in and through and as all things, and you are not separate from that. So as you begin to reflect on the nature of the universe and the nature of existence, if you think about it for too long, what may start to happen is you will start to realize how illogical the logic of God tends to be. We try to make sense out of life with our logic, but our logic cannot comprehend God's logic because our viewpoint is so finite, so limited, so small, which is why the scriptures say God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And that's also why we're constantly being encouraged to submit our lives to God. That's actually the essence of what all spiritual practice is. I was talking to one of my imam friends not too long ago, and he actually explained to me that the meaning of Islam is submission to the will of God. And of course, in the New Testament scriptures, you see the same thing in the, in the book of James. Submit yourselves to God. I see that as submitting your logic to God's logic. Trusting that everything is always happening in accordance to the divine logic, even when I cannot understand it with my own. So we've made a mystery out of God's will. But God's will is simply what is. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, God's will for your life is for you to be sitting in the chair that you're sitting in right now, listening to me. <laughs> Not because I'm special. I'm just saying it's because you're here. And if you get up right now and go, you know what God's will is for you to get up and go. 
That's, that, at least that's how I see it. You can, you can see it differently, right? Something happens in your life, some sort of tragedy, some sort of heartbreak, some sort of financial loss, a health problem. And you can say, no, man, this isn't God's will for me. Well, that's called your will for you. And when your will for you doesn't align with God's will for you, that's called suffering. And that hurts a lot. So the way to simplify this whole thing is to recognize that God's will is what is. And any time that I argue with God's will, I'm going to lose. Every time. You lose every time. So you can fight against it. You can resist it. You can wish that it was something other than what it is. But the more you do that, the more miserable you're going to be. Which is why Jesus' prayer was, God, let this cup pass from me. If you, you can make your request if you want something to look different. But the other side of that prayer is, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So it's getting our will out of the way. When you look at the big picture of life and existence, it's like, man, how could there, again, this, is, this question almost made me run away from faith completely. How could there be so much evil in this world? And we say that there's a God? How does that make any sense? Well, eventually, you got to tr stop trying to make sense out of it. That's the way that it works. Because if you try and make sense of it, you just, you won't be able to. It's beyond our ability to comprehend the way that all of this is set up. But faith is about trusting that it's all happening in accordance to a divine logic. There's a bigger picture, a bigger picture. Now, because there's such a gap between our logic and God's logic, spiritual truth oftentimes appears to be paradoxical to us. Spiritual truth appears to be self-contradictory. It doesn't make sense. It's actually the complete opposite of what we think is logical and true. And I want to walk you through kind of some, some of these uh, upside down, paradoxical, self-contradictory spiritual truths that may be totally different than how you operate right now in your logic. But hopefully this will give you a little glimpse and win window into God's logic. So here's the first one. This is how Jesus put it. If you want to find yourself, lose yourself. <laughs> that don't seem to make sense. What? If I want to find myself, lose myself? All of us have this image of ourselves in our mind. We think that we are this self-image. We present ourselves in a certain way to the world. And we have to live up to this standard that we are now holding ourselves to, this reputation and presentation that we now want to give to other people. And even though the benefit of that is validation and appreciation and approval, the downside is eventually you start, uh, you start living a facade. 
and you feel like you can't actually be who you are because you're always having to live up to something. You're always having to keep up an image and a presentation of yourself to the world, which stops you from being able to simply be, just to be. We make an identity around our accomplishments and our achievements and uh, the things that we've done in our life and the people that we are in relationship with and the career path that we have, but none of those things are you. We create a persona out of all of this, but none of that is who you actually are. So if you wanna discover who you truly are, you have to let go of who you think yourself to be because who you think yourself to be is way too limited way too small compared to what you actually are, which is one with God, one with this infinite mind and intelligence, an expression and manifestation of that. So the word person in the Greek literally means mask. And that word was originally used to describe a character in a play or a role that you take on during a show. It was, it was a word that was used in, in the world of theater, okay? So a person or a persona is a character that you play. In the same way, your persona, your self-image is just a role that you play. It's just a character that you're playing, but it's not who you really are. The character, the persona develops over time. And there are many different iterations of that throughout a lifetime. I mean, are you the same you that you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Your desires change, your beliefs change, your values change, your mindset, everything changes. Even though the persona is constantly changing, the spirit is changeless. So when you start pursuing God, What's happening is you're getting in touch with that which is changeless in you. That which has been present through all of those different iterations of your personality, through all of the evolution. There has been a you beneath the you that is one with God. That changeless essence that you are, the pure love that you are, that has always been there. That does not change. That is who you are in God. But if you're attached to your persona, if you're attached to this identity that you've created of yourself in your mind, you're never going to be able to experience the vastness of, of who you are. So when you oftentimes hear me speak of not taking things personally, that includes you too. And what I mean by that is lose yourself in God and don't take anything that you do that personal either. Because the character that you play, the person that you play is going to do good things and bad things. The person that you play is going to make good decisions and bad decisions. Sometimes you're going to be uh, wise. Other times you're going to be completely foolish. Sometimes the character that you play is going to do things that you know you, you shouldn't even do has nothing to do with who you are. You would think you would never, ever do this, but here you are doing it. So if you take you personal, oh man, now the guilt, the shame, 
the low self-worth, beating ourselves up. And the reverse is true. If you're like good, you start thinking more highly of yourself than you actually are. Nothing that you do or don't do has an effect on who you are in the sight of God, who you actually are. So lose yourself means lose this attachment to your self-image. Lose this identity that you have built around your persona and be one with God. Be simply an instrument in the hands of God, a vessel for God to flow through so that whatever you do or don't do, say or don't say, can be considered to be God's doing, not doing, saying, not saying through you. You're not taking it personal anymore. Why is this so hard for us to do this? Well, because if I don't have this self-image, who am I? You know, it's like I was talking to a friend of mine. This guy's story is really crazy. And he's a pastor. He was married, had a couple kids, got divorced, and then was single for a year and a half and got remarried to that girl. And they were at this party. He started a, a community. And I was talking to him about this. And he was telling me that year and a half after his divorce, he was lost. And because his upbringing was so rough, he didn't have good parental figures in his life, very uh, emotionally unstable growing up. He made an idol out of, he really idealized this notion of having a family, having a wife, and just settling down. So that was the dream. That was what his identity was attached to. So when it was stripped from him, he, he literally said to me, I didn't know who I was anymore. And for some of us, we don't realize that's why we are still stuck in the drama. Because even though we don't like it, we don't know who we are without drama. If I'm not creating drama, if I'm not stirring the pot, who am I? If I don't have the job, who am I? If I don't have this relationship, who am I? That is the most important question that you could ever ask yourself as a human being. And who am I and who is God is the same question. It, they both lead you to the same conclusion and destination in the end. It's spirituality 101. Who am I? Well, the answer to who am I is I am who I am. And who I am to me is different than who I am to you. And who I am to me and to you is different than who I am to God. So better to forget who I think I am, stop caring about who you think I am, and just be what I am right now. And stop labeling it and judging it and having a problem with it. Just let it be what it is. Let yourself be what you are. Let yourself be a sinner in the hands of a loving God. You see, do you feel how free that is? I'm just a sinner in the hands of a loving God. My, my life is in God's hands. And I don't, I'm, I'll probably disappoint you. Probably not going to live up to your expectations. But God loves me. I love me too. And I'm a work in progress. That's it. 
That's it. No image you're trying to keep up. Lose yourself in the love of God. Lose yourself in the love of God. Oh, let me read you this quote from uh, one of my favorite spiritual teachers. Her name's Byron Katie. Look at what she says here. Who do I think I am? I don't bother. I just leave that to other people to determine. Oh, man. Freedom there. Who do I think I am? I don't even bother. I don't even bother. I'll be whatever you think I am. I can't be anything else anyways. Right? It's like, I can think that I'm whatever. But if you believe that I'm something else, that's who I am to you. And some people, this is, I, I know what this feels like. You were somebody in the past. You've grown out of that iteration of who you are. But the people closest to you can't even tell. They can't even see this you because they're still caught up in the you that they think you are. And we do that to each other all the time. So that's the first one. If you want to find yourself, lose yourself. The second one, upside down logic of God. If you want to be great, be the least. If you want to be the greatest, be the least. Everyone has potential for greatness. But do we really understand what that word means? There's a story in the Hebrew scriptures about a, a prophet by the name of Samuel. And God had asked Samuel to uh, anoint a new king. The king at the time of Israel was uh, not a good man and was not offering good leadership to the people. So God said, it's time for somebody else to step up. And Samuel goes to the, ho the house of a man named Jesse. Jesse had many different sons. And as soon as Samuel arrives at Jesse's house, he sees the eldest son. And based on his appearance, it looks like this, this guy has the potential to be a king. I don't know what he was looking at, but he saw this man and he said, oh, that looks like you don't want to mess with this dude. He's going to be the king. And when he goes to anoint the eldest son as the king, look at what the scriptures say. God spoke to him. And this is what it says in the book of 1 Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And the son that was picked, David, who ends up being such a prominent figure in the scriptures, at this time he was, he was a shepherd boy taking care of sheep. He literally, amongst his brothers, was the least and the lowest, and that's the one who God chose. Later on, we read that David was a man after God's own heart. Oh, now that makes sense. Why? This would be the one picked for a leadership position. This would be somebody that God can trust because he can do the small tasks, the menial things, with a sense of joy and presence. He's not looking just for the, the stage and for the admiration and for the lights, willing to be unseen, willing to be unnoticed. That is greatness. Our world defines greatness in terms of appearance and popularity and influence and money and stature. Wonderful. But true greatness is a matter of the heart. True greatness is about your character. It's about who you are on the inside. It's about who you are when nobody is looking. 
Those who are greatest among us are those who live a life of service to other people. They're so great, they don't need other people to validate their greatness. They just live to make other people feel great. And in a world where everybody is contending to be on top, for somebody to be willing to elevate others and lift others up is true greatness. I don't need to be on the top. I'll help you up there, though. That's greatness. So when you look for greatness, you know, we want, I want a great spouse. I want a great mentor. What are you looking for? I want great friends. Don't get lost in the illusion of the fluff. That means nothing, the vanity. Look at the heart. Look at the inside. Look at the character. Here's the third one. If you want to be rich, become poor. If you want to be rich, become poor. It's the logic of God. You see how it's funny to, to us? Because we're like, huh? This don't make no sense. What do I mean by rich? Again, that's a definition that we need to discuss. What is rich to you? What is wealthy to you? Nothing wrong with money. Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil, though. I mean... The things people will do because they love money. And we can try and hide it and pretend like I don't really love money. I just like having a lot of it. You can have it. <laughs> I'm just saying, have the money. Please have the money. And, you know, every time I bring this up, too, we will take your money too. <laughs> give. All right. I'm not we are not anti money at all. Money is awesome. Money is a gift. Like everything else, it's how you use it. I can talk the same way that I do about money uh, with religion. Same thing. Money is neutral. Religion is neutral. But how we use it is not. The intention behind it. So what is rich to you? What is wealthy to you? I want to be rich in faith, rich in, rich in generosity, rich in peace and joy, rich in happiness, rich in love. And in order to be rich and wealthy in, in these qualities, it's going to require a poverty of spirit. What that means very simply is you're not holding on to a lot of stuff on the inside. You let things come and go. You don't possess anything. You're not clinging. You're not attached. You're not holding on. When I'm in a yoga class or even when I'm in the gym and we're doing workouts that are like on one leg, if you have to keep your balance, what is it that you guys say? You just find a point of focus, right? What's it called? Dristy. You find a point of concentration. If you don't have that point of concentration, you're looking around, you're trying to do this, you're going to fall. You're going to hop around. It's not going to work. You need a point of concentration. But once you find that point of concentration, you can do some crazy stuff, guys. <laughs> you thought I was going to do a show? No. <laughs> Imagine if I did like... <laughs> ah, 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 my back. No, I'm just kidding. Ah, it did kind of hurt, though. Oh I, didn't, I didn't stretch, man. I didn't stretch this morning. I'm still new at yoga, guys. Okay, I don't... New at life. New at life. But you got to find that point of concentration, and then you can keep your balance really well. That's how it is with life. 
Just find, just get this tunnel vision, this point of concentration. When Jesus says, be poor in spirit, it's like we spend so much of our lives desiring so many different things. Now I want this, and now I want that, and now I want this, and now I want that. And we just, all these multitude of desires. To be poor in spirit is to let go of every desire in exchange for just one. Tunnel vision. I'm focusing on God. That's my tunnel vision. That's my treasure. God is my wealth. God is my riches. And if I have that, come hell or high water, I am okay. That's actually how my friend was talking about his, his, the way that he saw his family when he idolized family. That's what he said. He's like, you know, in my mind, it's like, if I got, if I got my wife and I have my kids, that's it. I just got everything that I need. What else do I need? And that's okay. That's good. But also people get divorced and people die. And sometimes kids like you and then they don't like you anymore. And I mean, so if that's your world, if this is just, that's already, for me, that's already to, trying to control too much. But I can understand how some people, if I just have this, I got everything. Just switch that to God. If I just have God, I have everything. What else do I need? What else do I need? I have this peace in my soul. I have this love in my heart. Every day is a gift to me. Even the bad days, you appreciate them. You grow through them. To be poor in spirit. To simplify your life. Not to hold on to a lot of baggage. I'm not holding on to my accomplishments and my achievements to boost up my sense of self. I'm not holding on to this long list of things that that person did to me. That's all stuff that we carry in our spirit with us. We carry these things in our mind. No, don't carry anything up here. Be, be so empty that all you have is this moment. Empty of a future. Empty of a past. Just this, just this, just this. Look at this quote from a Stoic philosopher. Oh, that's not it, but I'll read this one. Is there one before this? Oh, never mind. I'm, I must have forgot it. But this guy said, wealth does not consist in having many possessions, but in having few wants. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. To, to, I'm not seeking after anything outside of me. I'm home. And then when, when your home is your heart, everywhere you go is home. So you never feel out of place. You know, like sometimes we go through stuff in life and we're like, I just need to change the scenery. I got to get out of here. I need to move. New everything. I mean, that's helpful and that works too. That's good. But wherever you go, there you are. All the baggage that you're carrying on the inside is going to follow you into that new environment, into the new relationship. But when you've cleared out and decluttered your inner house and your heart is your home, everywhere you go, that's it. So when you live like this, you don't have that many wants anymore. 
You don't have that many desires anymore. You're not seeking for anything outside of you anymore. So true wealth is contentment. True riches is knowing that you have enough. That's what it means to be rich. That's what it means to be wealthy. Because you can have a lot, a lot of stuff, but if you are desperate for even more, that's poverty. Because you never have enough. You're a slave to it. Look at this quote from Meister Eckhart. So you want to find God? Empty yourself of everything. Your worries and your hopes, your wishes and your fears. For when you are finally empty, God will find you because God can't tolerate emptiness and will come to fill you with himself. Yeah, that's a good one. Last one. Last one for today. Upside down, paradoxical, contradictory logic of God. You want to be wise? Become a fool. You want to be wise? Become a fool. Look at this scripture. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. What the heck does that mean? Anybody want to give it a shot? Huh? Make mistakes? For sure. Sin boldly. That's how Martin Luther said it. When you sin, sin boldly. You need to become a fool to be truly wise. What does that mean? Only fools find God, people. Because fools are all there are. <laughs> only fools find God because it's only the fool that's bold enough to be carefree. But you're not going to worry about this right now? Are you crazy? If you don't worry about it, then this is going to happen. And then if this happens, that's going to happen. And oh my God, everything's crashing. Only the fool is able to be like, man, eh, whatever. <laughs> whatever happens, I don't care. It takes a fool. It takes a fool to come to God. And you have to be willing to be seen as a fool, too. All right, because if you talk about some of this stuff with certain people that aren't on the same wavelength as you, it's like Jesus said, casting pearls before swine. They don't value this. They don't, this is literally foolishness to most people. Everything that we've spent the last 30 minutes talking about for a lot of people is foolishness. There are some people, if they hear me talking about love and kindness and compassion, in their mind, they're like, oh, that's somebody that's easy to take advantage of. They're, this is a cold world, everybody. What do you think? It's a cold, cold world. Yeah, that's the baby monkey in the tiger's mouth. So you got to be willing to be seen as a fool sometimes. Because this path is literally the complete opposite path that most people are on. Another thing about being foolish that's wonderful. When you describe someone as a fool, normally that tends to mean they're really ignorant. Right? Like, they don't know. There's an aspect of not knowing and being ignorant that is very wise. To just not know. To be a fool. I don't know. I don't care to know. I don't need to know. I don't want to know. There's nothing to know. Just be a fool. Because if you think you know, you really don't. 
when you think you know, and this applies to just everything, when you think you know, you become closed off to new possibilities. When you know that you don't know, now all of a sudden you are open, you're curious, seeking to understand instead of seeking to be understood. You're not trying to be right, you're trying to be love. This is why it takes a fool to come to God. Because you have to be willing to get comfortable with uncertainty, with mystery, with the not knowing. And I want to be a fool in the way that I interact with other people too. In the sense of, you know what, this person has a certain reputation or I've been around this person for X amount of years and I've seen these patterns in them. Well, instead of thinking that now I got this person figured out because of my past with them, what if I approach them with a blank slate? I'll just be a fool. I don't know. Maybe they're different now. Maybe something's changed. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't know is the ultimate wisdom. Literally, it's the ultimate wisdom. Just be a fool. Now, all of this stuff, these are uh, truths that can't really be logically understood. They're not meant to be logically understood. They're meant to be lived. They're meant to be experienced. So all these words that you've heard today, you will only come to discover the truthfulness of these words when you put them into practice. When you put them into practice, this is, you know, Jesus said this is a narrow path, a very narrow path, and very few people find it. So if I leave you with anything, it doesn't matter if other people don't understand the path, because they probably won't. It doesn't matter even if you don't understand the path sometimes, because a lot of times you won't either. All that matters is that you walk the path. Just walk the path. And uh, God's logic will begin to make some sort of sense to you, even when it doesn't. <laughs> Let me pray. God, we're so grateful for your love and for your grace. Enable us by the power of your spirit to be willing to lose ourselves in you, to be willing to let go and not cling, to be willing to not know and be a fool, to empty ourselves and be poor in spirit. Your words are the way to life. And so we ask uh, that you would help us to put these into practice and to Apply this wisdom into our lives. Uh, help us, God, in those moments when we're trying to make sense out of what doesn't make sense, uh, to know that there is order to the chaos of our lives. There's a bigger picture here, and we may not be able to see it with our minds, but we can trust that it's all happening in accordance with yours. We put our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, everybody. Thank you for being with us. Hey, on your way out, don't forget we have the cards for the kids if you want to sign them. Love you guys. Have a great rest of the week.